All right, good morning. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't have a traditional Bible but you want to use one, just raise your hand and one of these friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. Or you can take your smart device and open up the Bible app or the YouVersion app and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. If you're watching us live online or at one of our many services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, which by the way, we're going tonight. Pastor Sonny and Casey are gonna do baptisms there this afternoon and Pastor Dallas and I are gonna do baptisms there tonight. So yeah, you go ahead and give a hand to that. <laughs> some, some people had to get incarcerated to get baptized and so the, all good things come from God. And so we're so glad that all you guys are a part of our family. For the past few weeks, we've been in this little series of messages that we've been calling Faith, Hope, and Love. Obviously, in the first week, we talked about faith. And in that, we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, which has like this kind of faith hall of fame. People who the scripture said the world was not worthy of them because of their faith, which is so crazy. You read those words and I think like, how do I do that? How do I live with that? kind of faith. Well, before you can live with that kind of faith, you kind of have to know what faith is. And Hebrews chapter 11 starts out with that. And it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. And I love that word right there, substance. That our faith, if it is real, it should be substantial. It should be robust. We should have this robust, real kind of faith. And in the second week, we talked about hope, which we said hope looks at life from the future tense. It's, it's this confidence that thanks to Jesus, our tomorrow will always be better than our today, that we're in the middle of a storm today. We're in the middle of a struggle today. We're striving and we're searching and we're reaching and we're like everything in our life sometimes seems like it's falling apart. But what we know, and last week I talked about the great words of the philosopher Anne of New York, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that there'll be sun. Cause like yesterday it was a tornado and like I was doing a wedding and I showed up at the wedding venue. And just as I showed up, they were just releasing all of the guests of the hotel out of a storm shelter. And I thought this is gonna be a very nice kind of atmosphere to do a wedding in. And we wake up today and it's like the most beautiful day of the year. And hope says that your tomorrow will be better than your today. And so we're gonna wrap up this series today by talking about the captain of this little team that we've been talking about. And we're going to talk for a few minutes about love. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're so grateful to you. Thank you so much for the love that you give to us. The love that you give to us, not just through you and through your word and through your presence, but your love that you give to us through friends and through neighbors and through memories and through atmosphere and encounters. God, I pray today that, that your love would well up in this place, that we would leave here with less residue of us and, and more of you inside of us, and that we would be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. And, and so this whole series, we've been talking about this beautiful letter that was written by a guy named Paul. He used to be named Saul, but then he had this encounter with Jesus and everything about him, including his name and his identity were changed because that's what Jesus does. When you truly encounter him, he changes not just your outlook, but he changes your identity. And so this guy, Paul, became really passionate about the encounter that he had with Jesus. And so he kind of travels all over his area and he begins to start new churches. And, and, and 
We've been talking about this really beautiful letter that this guy named Paul wrote to a group of his friends in the city named Corinth, which is an isthmus, which an isthmus is like a bridge of land. And Corinth was an isthmus, a bridge of land in Greece that directly connected Athens and Sparta, the two most influential and powerful cities in that area, really in the world at that time. And this isthmus of land called Corinth was filled with people who were a whole lot like us. People who were caught up in life, who were, who were working and raising kids, building relationships and making memories. And in their striving and struggling, they were some, like sometimes they were looking for shortcuts. I wonder if you've ever looked for a shortcut. I mean, of course you have. Every one of us, we are constantly looking for shortcuts. We all do it. You want a shortcut on raising your kids. And, and so you, if you have a relationship with your mama, you call your mama and there's always some question. You go, mom, it's 103 temperature. Mom, there's these spots on his back and like, I don't know what to do. And so you like freak out. And so you don't know how to be a parent when you're a brand new parent. And so you, you look for a shortcut. And so you you call your mom, you look for a shortcut in your career, and so you go to a conference or you watch a TED Talk. You, really, I mean, we are the culture of shortcuts. You want to know anything, you Google it. If you want to know anything, you go to YouTube, you watch a YouTube video. Like if, there, if there's a leak in your toilet, every dude in this room has become convinced that they could become a licensed plumber in 14 minutes. If we just watch, I know that he had to go through a whole apprenticeship and I know that that other guy had to get, you know, but he's, baby, he, do you realize what he's going to charge if he comes here? And I could fix that. And you know how many plumbers have made triple the money thanks to YouTube because some guy felt like he watched a video and the plumber on the video fixed the thing in 14 minutes. And now all of a sudden, like we we're looking for shortcuts all the time. And these people were no different. They were good people who were looking for a better way. And, and so they're trying all sorts of things. They're hanging their lives on all sorts of stuff. And their friend Paul, he, he comes along and he says, whoa, hold on a minute. Be cautious. You need to be really, really careful what you hang your life on. Because there are all sorts of things that you think you can hang your life on. But in the end, there's really only three things that can withstand the weight of your life. And that is faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. You know, it's interesting, if you Google those three words in that sequence, faith, hope, and love, there are four million results. Four million results. I read them all this week. <laughs> one verse, three words, four million results. And it's one of the most well-known, one of the most popular, highly marketed scriptures in the entire book. But when Paul wrote these words to his friends, he wasn't trying to coin a phrase that would look good on a coffee mug or in cross-stitch or on an Instagram post. He, he was talking to his friends, his people who were really smart, really successful, spiritually seeking people who were searching for answers. And they were searching for answers because they seemed to have it all. But there was a hole. There was a gap. There was a void. Have you ever met somebody who seemingly has it all, but they're still not content, they're still not happy, they're still not comfortable? And so their friend, Paul, he writes this letter where he's speaking from his heart what's in his heart. And he says, like, you've tried all this stuff, but, but, but what if you tried 
this. I, like, I know you have all this stuff, and I know you're super successful, and you know you got a degree, and I know you're a philosopher, and I know you're a psychologist, and I know, I know you have all the answers, and I know you have all this money, and I know that you have, like, a beautiful wife or, a, like, a really, really handsome husband who looks like Pastor Sean, and you, I know that you have all the, the stuff, and I know that it seems like life is all figured out, but I, I know because you're my boy. I know that things just aren't working. So what if you tried these couple of things. And, and when someone consistently repeats principles, you should pay attention. Like when you've got a person in your life and they say the same stuff over and over and over again, you need to pause for just a minute and pay attention to what it is that they're talking about. I know that you think you're smart. I know that you think you have everything figured out. I know that you think they're droll or that they're dumb or that they're old or that they're played out or that they're rankled. And I know, listen, I know that life isn't what it, like for especially teenagers, I know we're dumb and we're old because like we don't have the gram and we, did, like, we didn't grow up with all the technology and all that stuff. But there's some things you can't learn on Google. There are some things you've got to live to learn. And so when somebody who's got a little seasoning on them starts to speak every once in a while, just listen. I wonder, I wonder if you have anybody in your life who, who kind of repeats principles, has them on a loop, like a teacher or maybe a grandma. My, my grandma had a principle and she repeated it all the time. And it's just like, it's in my head on a loop. And, and this, this is it. This was her like life life lesson. Always leave the house in clean underwears. <laughs> Words of wisdom. Because, baby, if you get in an accident, you're going to want to be sure you're wearing clean underwears. To which I always would think two things. I think, well, number one, I leave the house in clean underwears every day because I'm not gross. That's number one. <laughs> number two, if I get into an accident that is so bad that they are checking my draws, I think whether they are clean or not will be the last of my worries. I have been in some accidents. They never said, we better check his underwear. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying. It's like, so seriously, when a person of wisdom consistently repeats words of wisdom, you should pause and pay close attention. The greatest spiritual influence in my life was my pastor in uh, Tacoma, Washington at Fulton Buntain. He, he had words of wisdom that he had on a loop, things like, it's always nice to be nice, or if you want the last word, say you're sorry. It's never too late to begin again. If the wind doesn't blow, row. Here's, here's the best one that impacted my life the most. Black is slimming. You should wear it all the time. That's like, of all the things that he says the most hurtful, but it was the most impactful. Do you know how many black clothes I, uh, maybe I think it's a license to eat. I'm not sure, but he, he was very animate. Here's what he said to me. He backed up. He said, you know, you're a big guy, but don't, you know, don't be a fat guy because nobody likes a fat guy. I thought nobody likes a fat guy. <laughs> My wife likes a fat guy. So it, anyway, black, it's slimming. Wear it always. He called them his chin lifters. I called them wisdom. For Paul, faith, hope, and love were those kind of words. For him, they were on a loop. 
Like this letter to the Corinthians, it isn't the first time that Paul shares this wisdom in this order. Five years before he writes this letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes another letter to his friends in the city of Colossae. And Colossae was an inland city in what's now Turkey. And Colossae had once been a really, really important industrious city, but they had been decimated in their industry, but they were now thriving in their faith which is the opposite of what happens to a lot of people. A lot of people thrive in their faith when they're being successful and their faith goes to the wayside when they're not. But for these people, it literally was the opposite. And so Paul writes in this letter and he says, y'all, we always thank God when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. And he's looking at these people five years before he writes the love chapter. He looks at these people and he says, when we pray for you, we give thanks because clearly you get it. Clearly in the midst of all the drama, you are hanging your life on the right stuff. You understand that there are three things that will last forever, faith, hope, and love. Then Two years after he writes to his friends in Colossae, three years before he writes to his friends in Corinth, he writes a letter to a group of friends in the city of Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was actually one of the most powerful cities in the world. It was a port city. It had a population of almost 200,000 people, which in that day was a major metropolis. And it was, it was called Via Ignatia, which means the way of the nations, because it was a crossroads in the Roman Empire. It was one of the most productive thoroughways on the Roman roads, which were way before their time, and it was the major port within the Roman Empire. And so stuff went from east to west and north to south, and all roads intersected at Thessalonica. And it was inhabited by people from all over the world. And so people congregated in this city because they felt like it's where they could get their best hope for the future. And so this city had adopted all of these beliefs, it had adopted all of these religions, had adopted all of these races and creeds, and something happened in Thessalonica and a revival broke out. And the predominant religion inside of this massive city was they became Jesus people. And so Paul writes them and he says, we always thank God for you and we continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's celebrating the fact that these people get it that of all the baggage that they could have had in their life, of all the things that they could have hung their lives on, they chose to hang their lives on the right hooks. And so these words in Corinthians, they're not tongue in cheek. They're not flippant, they're not off the cuff. These were principles that were ingrained in Paul's heart and so they flowed from his mouth because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Are you speaking words of faith? Are you speaking words of hope? Are you speaking words of love? Like are they a wellspring from out of your heart? These were words of wisdom being repeated by a person of wisdom. And he repeated them to three groups of friends, all from different cities and backgrounds, challenges and experiences, but some principles are tried and those principles are true. They're timeless. They worked for the Colossians, they worked for the Thess Thessalonians, they worked for the Corinthians and they'll sure enough work for us. And so he says, there are three things that will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. 
And he's definitely talking about agape love. It is the love of God. And that love, agape love, it is selfless and sacrificial. It's unconditional, it's unstoppable, and it is completely universal. And so Paul, this brilliant, highly educated, highly trained guy says, it's the greatest. Love is the greatest. Let me tell you why. Because love, this agape thing, it's patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not proud, self-seeking, or easily anchored. It doesn't keep any record of wrong. It doesn't rejoice with injustice. Have you ever seen people that they rejoice seemingly in injustice? Oh, that person got what they have coming. It doesn't rejoice with injustice. But love rejoices with the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. It never fails. Some of you are here and you feel like love has failed, but it wasn't the love of God that failed. It was some weird, whacked out love or lust or infatuation or something, control, whatever that was, that somebody else who walked out on you. And so you took the, like the actions of some human and you put them on the God who is love and the God who, who will never fail you, who will never leave you. That is God's love. And when you experience that, y'all, it's the greatest like 1 Corinthians 13 has a twin. I don't know if you knew this, but there is a twin verse to 1 Corinthians 13 in 1 John chapter 4. Those two chapters are like the Wonder Twins. Wonder Twin power, activate. All my comic book nerds are in heaven right now because like, oh, did he just make a Wonder Twin form of water? You know, it's like, listen, I grew up watching cartoons. You know what I'm saying? Once a week, by the way. Saturday mornings, we were ready. Watch the Justice League. So they had like the Wonder, anyway, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what God's love is. Lost the crowd, not enough nerds. It tells us what God's love is, and 1 John 4 tells us how we access it. Here's what it says. It says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we should love each other. No one's ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. I, I read a story this week that was a really good example of how love can be shown complete through us. In uh, Louisiana, there's a Louisiana state prison. It's a lot of people, it's in Angola. It's one of the most terrifying prisons on earth. It's one of the most dangerous prisons in the world. They, they, uh, they eliminate more uh, of their inmates than any other prison in North America. It is definitely death row friendly. And they have a warden who is a hard dude, but he loves Jesus. And so he constantly and consistently invites pastors to come in and to speak to his convicts. And they bring all the convicts into this thing. And the guy, they do worship music and they speak. And he lets people give these calls for repentance. And sometimes he lets pastors come into death row and talk to the death row inmates. And I was reading this article by this pastor who, who had this opportunity to tour death row. And, and, and when they got to the table where they actually do the executions. They do it by lethal injection. The warden looked at this pastor and he said, lay down. 
The pastor said, oh, I'm straight. No, I'm cool, man. That's, that's, I don't, I feel pretty good right now. I don't want to throw my back out. He said, the warden, he said, the warden said, lay down. He said, when that guy says, lay down, you're like Lassie. You just, you just lay down. He said, he said, so I laid down on the table and the warden said, look up. He said, I looked up and on a ceiling tile right above the execution table were these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will never perish but have everlasting life. And those words were there because the warden said, I want the last thing that these men see before they go to the other side. I want them to see that no matter what they've done, no matter what they've experienced, no matter how guilty or how much they had gone on in their life, how much pain they have created or how much pain they have in their own lives, I wanted them to know that God's love is enough for whatever has happened in their life. Y'all, if you had one minute for one message, that's the one. It's the greatest, that the greatest of all things is love. And I understand that you've got all sorts of things going on in your life. I understand that you drug all kinds of grief and doubt and pain that you've received and that you've distributed. You drug all of those things in here. But if I could just tell you the same thing that that warden told those inmates at their imminent death, look up. Because if you look up, you'll realize that Jesus is enough for whatever it is that you're carrying today because the greatest is love and God is love. So I want to give you today before you go four truths about God's love. Here's the first is that God loves you patiently. Now, I know that there's a lot of people who haven't loved you patiently. I know that there's a lot of people that you haven't loved patiently. But what I also know is that you have been a fool most of your life. You've done it, done it, done it, done it, done it. You've taken it for granted, taken it for granted, taken it for granted. It's amazing to me the amount of people who have some sort of an encounter like later in life. And then when you hear their testimony, they say these words, well, I grew up in church, but... Isn't it amazing the people who can have access to love who will deny that access because they want to do their own thing? And when we're a hum human and somebody denies your love, when you're a human and somebody disrespects the love that you're like offering to them, our natural inclination is to withdraw that love. But when people deny the love of God, he doesn't withdraw that love. He pushes that love closer because God loves you patiently. Here's the second is that God loves you perfectly. I know that some of you have been done dirty. I know that there are people in your life who have done you wrong. I know that somebody said they loved you one minute and then they said they loved somebody else the next minute. I know that somebody represented love in an unclear way. I know that somebody represented some religion or they represented some position and they did some things to you that were highly inappropriate, but you need to understand that that is not the love of God. That is the twisted counterfeit of an enemy because God does not love you with an imperfect love. God loves you perfectly. Here's a third, is that God loves you powerfully. Love never fails. There's lots of things in your life that are going to fail. There's lots of people in your life who are going to fail. Lots of situations in your life that are going to fail, but God's love will never fail. I know you're waiting for it too. And some of you, you like you had this God experience. You had like this Jesus encounter and you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like you're like, oh, this is good now, but, or, or this is like, I'm happy now or joyful now, or I'm in a good place now, but you're just waiting for that moment that you think that you're going to mess up and God's going to pull it. He doesn't love you that way. Here's the fourth is that God loves you permanently, forever. 
Y'all, he loved you before you loved him, so why would he not love you now that you love him? Why would he not love you because you made a commitment and now you made a mistake? You were wiling out before you ever even made that commitment and he still loved you before then. Scripture says nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Not problems, not people, not situations, not, like nothing that you do, not demons, not nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Why are you trying to separate yourself? Why are we trying to give God a stiff arm? Because we're so insecure about who we are. We're so insecure about the love that we have withdrawn that we think that it is inevitable that God will withdraw. But God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He loves you permanently. And like all those are great. They sound great in a message. They, they look great on a screen. But let's be honest. You read those and you go, well, of course he does. He's God. Like, like, what about me? Little old, messed up, jacked up, insecure, insignificant me. How, how do I do that? I got to tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy to love. Have you ever met people? Like any people, have you ever met them? And you go, huh. Yeah, this is, uh, ooh. <laughs> you hear about love and how love is not easy. You go, yep, bingo. That's the guy. And it's hard because people, people are people. And people stink, and people are mean, and people are rude, and people are disrespectful, and people want to do everything they can to push you down, to push themselves up. And so when you hear about love and how you're supposed to love people with the love of God, it sounds easy because like he's God, and he was there before, and he'll be there after, but sometimes you think, has he met her? Like, does he know my ex-wife? Because she's really mean. And you go, he must have been had a day off. That must have been on the Sabbath that she was born because he must have been on his day off. She's the daughter of Satan is all I'm saying. I was married to her for 14 months and it was like hell on earth. And some of you are like, hey man, brother preach. Like you just became Pentecostal in, in that moment. So I know it's not easy. Why? Because I know people and I know how hard it is sometimes for me to love people. So I thought, why don't I just leave you with a starting point? Like four of them, actually. Four starting points to loving like God. Okay? These are super simple. And, and they're, they're almost like seeker-sensitive-esque. Okay? So just be forewarned. There's not a whole lot of Greek in this. Okay? Here's the first one. Say it. Say, I love you to somebody. Some of you, you like those words are so hard for you. There are some men. Y'all. You ain't never said those words. Like, like your lady says, I love you. You're like, yep. Thank you. Isn't that the worst when you say I love you to somebody and they say thank you? They can't say thank you when you buy them something. But they can say thank you when you say I love you. That's not a response to I love you, by the way. There is one response to I love you. It is I love you or I love you too. Maybe there's two of them. But it is not thank you, men. Okay? And it is not I told you I loved you when we got married. And if anything changes, I'll, I'll let, you'll be the first to know. That's not good. Say it. Say, I love you. It's so powerful. I, it's three words, love you. In fact, say it as often as you think it. Sometimes I'll tell Sonny or my kids like five times on a car ride, hey, I love you. And then sometimes I'll go, I think I just said that. And I said, Dad, have I, have I said that to you? And like, oh yeah, it's like last sentence. You said, I love you. Like say it as often as it comes to your mind because divine things happen in the presence of those words, but dysfunctional things happen in the absence of them. So say it. 
Today, look at your lady. She's going to need to go to the ER when this happens. I promise you. She's going to have a coronary. You're going to say, baby. Even some of you, you call her baby. It's a wrap, first of all. Baby. I love you. Just say it, okay? Just today, that's your homework. Here's the second is uh, try to write it. Maybe, maybe you can't say it yet, but write it. Like these are just simple little ideas. They're just starting points. The, write a note. Like, okay, there's a thing that was invented years ago. Um, it's called paper. And then there, uh, there's a thing. I'm not sure if you've heard of these, but it's a pen. It's plastic. There's ink in it. And when you move it in certain positions, it, there's words that come out. I know that some of you who are under 40, you don't know what that is, but get a note card, like just write a thing. Like, or for you guys who are anti being normal, just send a text. You could just send a little text. Like, I love you. Uh, and if maybe you can't bring the words, send an emoji, maybe a little heart or that, that heart-shaped face, maybe a little fire, like maybe they'll get it. Or like the explosion one or the 100, send the 100. Ladies, if you get a text today and it says 100, all right, you know. When Sonny and I first got married, we worked in Nashville. We lived in Nashville because I was trying to be a singer, but nobody wanted me to record anything. And so we left. But while we were there, we uh, worked jobs, like normal human jobs. And uh, Sonny worked in an office and I worked, uh, I know that you're, you're not going to believe this, I sold exercise equipment. And so I was in, in the... <laughs> the worst job selling exercise equipment in the middle of a mall. And so I would like sell these health riders and, uh, and uh, I had a fax machine and Tony had a fax machine. And so we would fax each other during the day, notes without words. We would like draw little pictures and we'd just and it would come through. And it would come up, oh shoot, sucky sucky. It was just great. Like just, Write a note. That's all I'm saying. Get a card. Text. Write it. I love you. Here's the third. Show it. Show somebody that you love them in a small way, like a little act of kindness. Do the dishes or carry the laundry downstairs. Drop the seat. Pick up your socks. Like take the kids on Saturday morning and let her sleep a little bit. Bring her a flower or some M&Ms or an Oreo. I don't know. Just, it's just I was thinking of you so. Like do you understand what I'm saying? It's this little acts, these little symbols that show it. I love you. And here's the fourth. Mean it. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Mean what you say and say what you mean. You would be amazed what would happen in your life if you would speak from your heart what's in your heart. I know that some of you grew up without people expressing their love or gratitude to you. But can I tell you that that can be a generational curse? Grab your lady today or grab your man today and look him dead in his face. Say, I love you and I appreciate you. And I am so grateful for the things that you do for this family. And I know that you work hard and I know that sometimes you feel like nobody appreciates. Can I tell you something? So your man will be like seven feet tall after that. He'll be like, oh, shoot. You know, like, you know his chest, he'll have a 60-inch chest. He'll be walking around for a week like this. He'll go to work and say, hey, what's up? I'm the man. Like it's, just, it's like a testosterone infusion. If you look at your man and you just say, you're so, you may not even believe it. Speak life over him. 
Look at your lady and tell her something nice. I said, listen, y'all, I'm not the best at this. I'm not like a words guy. I, I got home from a trip. I looked at Sunny yesterday. I said three or four really nice things to her in a row. And she just sat there. And then she went, thanks. She really didn't even know how to respond. Because listen, sometimes this is a work in progress. Sometimes it works if you work it. And so for some of you, the greatest of these is love. I know you've tried all the other stuff, but what if you tried this? What if you tried to hang your life on love? Love for yourself, love for others, and love for Jesus. Have you done that? If you haven't hung your life on the right hooks, you can before you leave here today and everything will be changed. If you do that, close your eyes all across this place, would you? I wonder if you're here and you say, I haven't done it. I haven't, I haven't hung my life on the love of myself. I haven't hung it on the love of others. And I certainly haven't hung it on the love of Jesus. That's what salvation is. Salvation is hanging your life on the hook of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to take your life off whatever hook you've been hanging it on that hasn't been handling the weight and shift that weight to the only hook that matters, and that's the hook of Jesus. You do that by doing two things, confessing and professing. Confessing that you're a sinner and professing that you believe he can change you. So this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to do both of those. We're going to give you an opportunity to confess in just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, in just a minute, we're gonna ask for people to do two things. We're gonna ask people to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down. That's your confession. Then I'm gonna ask everybody in here to repeat a prayer after me along with everybody else in this place. Like we're not gonna center you out or anything. That's your profession. And when you repeat after me and you believe it in your heart, scripture says that you'll be saved and you begin a new relationship with Jesus. So I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I need to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior hang my life on the hook of Jesus. That's you with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand right now and make eye contact with me? Thanks, 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 thank you. Thanks, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks. Cool. I'm gonna ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life, change me, make me different. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I'm gonna ask you to take that hello card, tear off the bottom part, fill it out, check the box that's yellow. It says, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. Either put it in the black buckets when they come around in a minute or take it out to the Welcome Center. We just want the chance to pray for you. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes again. Don't leave, hang out. We have two more things in just a second here. But I wonder if you're here and you say, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, but I really haven't been hanging my life on love. Whatever it is that happened to you that caused that to happen, it's neither here nor there. You have a choice to make today. Am I going to hang my life on love? If you haven't been doing that, but you want to, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you today? Yep, yep, gosh, so many people, God. For so many people in here who haven't been hanging their life on love, bless them, encourage them. Let them realize that it is not too late. Show your love to them. In Jesus' name, amen.